unique podcast taking you behind the badge. Unbelievable stories exploring the day in the life of a first responder. 911 is made possible by Carlos Bail Bonding and Eric Buchanan and Associates, fighting for those that have been denied disability, life, long-term care, and health benefits nationwide. Now, here's your host, DeMarlin Dean. Welcome to 911. Hey, thank you guys for joining us today. And, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, this is the world's best cop podcast. You know, we're going to talk to all these first responders and hear some great stories about some of the things that they've been through. And I just want to thank you, first of all, for joining us. And I, I want to get it out of the way right now. Just make sure you invite your friends to listen and then share everyone with this great podcast so we can keep growing this thing. But today... I've got somebody on the line today that I actually used to work with a little bit, so I have to be careful to make sure no stories come out on me, but I got plenty of stories on him, some he doesn't even <laughs> know about yet. <laughs> but this young fellow, a man he used to be called Officer John Carter, but now he is Dr. John Carter. John, how are you doing today, brother? I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Man, I'm so happy to have you here. And let me just get it right out, out there. I never thought I'd be calling you Dr. Carter, man. Tell me well, about that. What's been going on in your world? A lot of people never thought they would. Um, <laughs> basically, I also have the, the distinction to work and go through the academy with your dad and work with you. So, Uh-oh. Uh oh. Oh, I didn't even know about you going through with my dad. <laughs> yeah, I went through the academy with your dad and uh, uh, many moons ago and, and then had yes. a distinct privilege to work with you. So that, that's that's important to me. And it's, it's actually a privilege to do that. Um, I went to school. Um, yeah. You know, I got a bachelor's degree in 88 when mm -hmm. I left Western Kentucky University, played football there for four, uh, several years. Uh, did some work on my master's and decided I needed needed a job. Got tired of school. Mm -hmm. Joined the police department in 89, did some undercover work and went through the police academy. And but uh I don't know if you remember Captain Dawson, Napoleon Dawson. He would always ask me, when are you going back to school? When are you going back to school? When are you going back? You know, I said, oh, I ain't got time. I got bills. I got extra jobs. I got the typical police life. And then just, mm -hmm. you know, he kept staying on me. And one day, probably back in 97, 98, the light bulb came back on, man. And I went to school for six or seven straight years. Wow. So you had your master's before you became on the police department? No, I had I had like 19 hours on it. Okay. Okay. All right. So you're one of those that actually was smart. Already had had your 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 bachelor's degree, and you were still you still came on the police department. What's wrong with you, man? Uh at the time, well, I come from a, a law enforcement background. Uh, I had okay. two uncles where I'm from, Youngstown, Ohio. I had two uncles that are that were retired. They're retired officers now. One did 40 years on the Youngstown Police Department, and another one did 25 or 26. So I was familiar with it a little bit. Never thought I'd do it. But the opportunity came in 1989, and uh, I went to a job fair at Tennessee State, and Chattanooga Police Department was there. Actually, uh, Captain Paul Calloway was there, and, and uh, former Chief, Assistant Chief Tracy Arnold was there, and they were recruiting. So I give them my yeah. resume, and boom, boom, they called me, man, the next day. So, hey, we don't <laughs> get many resumes like this. So came down, took the test, all the testing one day, and the uh, rest was history, I guess. 
Well, that is amazing. That is amazing. Uh, so let, just kind of take us through, I think you did a total of what, 25 years, but take us through some of the various assignments that you had while you were on the uh, police department. Wow. Okay. Uh, did some undercover work for about a year and actually did some undercover work out of town. Um, did some um, in Eastern Tennessee a little bit, uh, got loaned up uh, from Chattanooga. Chief Cawthon had a chief in East Tennessee who had a drug problem. So me and uh, another officer went up there and worked for a couple months. Uh, worked public housing detail when they had that. When we we all when we we had a group of officers and all we did was work public housing. Did that. I was a burglar and robber detective for about four mm-hmm. and a half years. Um, worked uh, patrol, of course. Midnight shift started out. Did all that kind of stuff and was a school resource officer from 1997 to about 2002. Then got promoted to sergeant, so I had to go back on the street. And actually, I had the opportunity after I became a resource officer to, to supervise those guys who were all in, who were in all the schools. And um, for about two or three years, then of course I went back to patrol, and I did my last fourteen on midnight shift. Man, midnight midnight shift was was my favorite. That's right with the CPD. I kind of left that out, but he's with the CPD here. But you know, you right. just touched on something, and we may as well go ahead and jump into it since mm-hmm. uh, you know it's it's in the topic of, of on the forefront of everybody's mind right now, and that's the um, Uvalde school shooting that just occurred what 10, 10 days ago or so. And right. you know, as as a school resource officer yourself and a supervisor for a school resource officer, now let me back up and say. You know, I even made a post on Facebook kind of, you know, telling people to back off a little bit because everybody was jumping on and pointing fingers right, and all this. Right, right. There's no doubt. I feel like there were some mistakes made. However, we're also knowing that there's a lot of information that's still coming out. And so just like right. I say in the police shootings and everything else, let's let's wait and hear all the information and then make decisions based on that. But I want to get your thoughts since you actually, you know, you were tasked with protecting those students. What are your thoughts about it just initially? Right. I was a I was actually a school resource officer at Howard uh, four and a half years, and I was at Howard by myself as an officer. Um, mm-hmm. Looking at this Uvalde situation, it's like I say, it's easy to play devil's advocate. It's easy to, to play, you know, Monday morning quarterback or what they should have done and didn't do. But mm-hmm. the one thing training has changed over the years, and the one thing that they they failed to do, which has been proven, I guess, already or seen, they failed to act in a correct manner and go try to prevent lives from being taken. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Just because, you know, the school resource officer wasn't even there. Uh, the right. kid uh, had a perfect run into the school. The back door was unlocked. There were several things that as they come out, you know, that, that weren't done correctly, I feel. But at the CPD, one thing I know, me and my boys or young ladies, we, we'd have went in. Right. We right. would have went yeah, in. That's, um, yeah, go ahead. And that's due to uh, our experience. Probably we work at a bigger department. That department was a small department. Um, right. Time, so much time elapsed before they got there. The one thing about the CPDs SRO pro, uh, program at the time, and I know the county has it now. I think the school system has their own police officers now, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. in Chattanooga uh, for uh, Hamilton County Schools, but. We were trained, and our training was, hey, if it's three of us here, diamond formation, let's go. This guy mm-hmm. is, is picking off people, and, and, and we could have, if they did it correctly, they could have maybe not saved all the lives. Instead of 
Instead of 19, it might have been five or six. We don't know. We were making judgments at the end. But I just know that, that me and my boys would, and the young ladies, we're going in. That's yeah. what we swore to do. Yeah. I, I don't have, again, you know, we, we can sit here and go back and forth because we weren't there. Right. But the, the, the biggest thing, you know, the first six that were there, of course, now they're saying they were actually 19. But the first ones that were there... Mm-hmm. You know, I can get it. They they weren't equipped. The doors were locked. They can't, you know, you can't, I feel like you can't stand there with an AR-15 being fired at you and try to kick a door in because you just, you know, as they right. say, that's the funnel of death right there. Right. However, when the tactical unit got there, mm-hmm. that's where I started having an issue because they were told to stand down. They were ready to go. And as a matter of fact, the reports right. now are saying that they, they, when they finally did go in, it was still against the chief's orders, you know, the officer right. in charge against right. his order. So I think that the failure is there and they finally said, forget it, we're going in because they had the resources. They could go. Right. Um, so that's that's the, my, my, my single biggest question at this point. But gosh, you know, I mean, with, what a tragedy. With today's training, three of us officers armed, we are a tactical team. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what today's training. No longer wait on SWAT in a situation like that because it'll take them 20 minutes to get there like it took time for these other officers to get there. If it's three of us there, four of us, five, whatever, we're going in yeah. because we we could have or they could have prevented less lives from being taken. Not that they right. would have stopped the whole thing. Right. But I'm, right. I'm sure if we had distracted or they had distracted that young man would be it rounds down hallways or whatever the case it may be, even even just certain gunfire within the building. His, his attention would have been, okay, somebody's in here after me with a gun. And, it, right. and I think it would have went away from those kids, you know, so but, but we would have went in. I, yeah. I can pretty much was, guarantee you that. Yeah, and that's, and that's the feedback I'm hearing from a lot of my, uh, uh, you know, officer friends now via the threads on Facebook mm-hmm. and things like that. And, and of course, you, you know, you wonder with, with it being two rooms that were joined by a bathroom, right. you know, there's no way he could have been actively protecting both of those rooms. So if he's in one room, you seems like you do have an op- opportunity to get in one right. and then, you know, tactically go in through the bathroom or whatever. So he couldn't be in both rooms at the same time. So. Distracting him would have been the key. Right. Letting him, letting him know, okay, there's somebody else out here with a gun. So I got to try to either get them or they trying to get me. And his focus would have probably been off those kids and trying to see who was coming to get him. Or right. so not to mention the windows. cop, whatever they say he was trying to do. Um, right. It was. It was just. It boils down to just being pure evil. Right. Right. And you even had windows too. You know, someone could have been distracted. And, windows you know, were open. Windows. Um, windows were open because they were getting kids out of classroom. Some of the officers were getting kids out through the windows. Okay. Right. If I'm getting you out through a window, I, somebody needs to go in there and behind you when we're getting you out of there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but he right. had windows in his classroom, right. so they could have right. been in, so, in one of those. So. Yeah, I'd wow. hate. I hate to judge the situation, but but. I just think it boils down to what's going on in law enforcement all around the country. You have a lot mm-hmm. of officers that are scared and, right. and you and you you worked at the CPD. You know, we all worked with some officers who were right down the street from a hot call and it took them 15 minutes to get there. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. We yes, work sir. With, we, you like I did. We work with several of those people. So we know that that law enforcement um, of those types exist. Yeah. And if we're going to be frank, I, I, I fear that there's a lot more of those types now um, because of, of all of the political pressure that's been put on officers oh, yeah. to, to do their job effectively, because sometimes 
unfortunately, when you do your job right and effectively, mm-hmm. it right. doesn't always look good. And well, uh, we're in a time now judged. where so many people. Exactly. You're getting right. judged. And, you know, our thing with CPD when I was there, I, I was uh, I was under five different chiefs in my time at Chattanooga Police Department. Our thing, and it's I think you can poll most officers, our thing was, well, the people up top at Amnicola don't care mm-hmm. because if we do something, they're going to fry us and they're going to leave us out to hang, hang, leave mm-hmm. us out, you know, just hanging. Mm-hmm. And you got people in the street who are opposing us. They won't be behind us. So you mm-hmm. have that attitude of, okay, well, I'm, maybe I might not stop this car because if I do something wrong, I'm in trouble. If I do something right. wrong, I'm 28 days without pay. Right. And then on the other side, you're thinking about if you do something wrong, it could be in your life. And that both of those pressures are, are, are there with law enforcement. Like I teach my students, it's not for the faint at heart. It's not what right. you see on TV. Right. So, so know that if you decide to go into it, you got to take the good with the bad. That's exactly right. And that's frankly why I left for that reason. Mm -hmm. I saw and this was in the early 90s. So this is nothing new. I saw officers that got fired or suspended for doing exactly what they were trained to do, exactly what I would have done. Uh, Not saying I'm super cop, but I mean, I was like the class president. You know, I had the highest academic school Mm -hmm. and I could talk my way out of just about anything. (laughs) Right. Right. But and I know how to treat people. But when I saw these situations, I'm like, wait a minute. That's exactly what we were trained to do in the academy. We're supposed to do it that way. That officer did it. Somebody got hurt. And now he's, you know, suspended with 28 days. Yeah, that ain't right. And that that happens. Um, People don't really understand the politics of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And that's a a major, major thing. There are politics. You think it's politics in the mayor's office. Try being at a police department. You go on, or, or a sheriff's department, which is more pressure because their sheriff gets elected. Right. Ours is appointed. Right. So right. The, the stress and the pressure is there. And it's not, and I tell people, it is just not for the faint and hard. You either got to go into it 100% or don't go into it at all. Right. And that's what you do now. You actually teach criminal justice now, right? Yes, correct. Yes, sir. Cambridge High School. So what's uh, the main point you try to get across to people that may be um, considering, of course, criminal justice is a big thing. It doesn't necessarily mean they're going to go into law enforcement, right, but you know, right. some, some of those are. But what, what, what would you, what would be the main thing you'd want people to leave your class knowing or understanding? The main thing is what I lived by when I was a cop. Treat people right. Mm-hmm. It does not mean that everybody you arrested is a criminal. Some people, I have met the best people that just made a mistake. Right. Doesn't mean they're criminals. Everybody has a mother. Everybody has a father. You 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 just need to be careful how you talk to people, especially these these days, Demarlin, because everything's videotaped or audio taped. Right? Could you actually really imagine working in today's time when everything you say, everything you do is recorded? No, I'm glad I'm I not working at this time because not saying that I I might have did something wrong. But it's, it's, it's Big Brother watching you. Charles Orwell, 1999, all over. He wrote the perfect book. Big Brother's watching you. And that's what and that's what it's happening in days law enforcement. And yeah. I, I'm just glad I was able to get my 25 in because <laughs> today in law enforcement, it's a young man's game. You're right. 
Right. No, nobody's perfect. Uh, none of us are. Right. The public isn't. And that's an extreme amount of pressure to feel like you have to be perfect mm-hmm. all the time. Again, now, if you go out here and you're abusing people. Right. Uh, that's 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 different. Yeah. You right. know, you need to, you need to hang it up, turn in the badge. I always said if I do something wrong, I, I, I accept it. You know, right. I, if right. I messed up, I accept it. Right. But don't don't leave me hanging out to dry just because right. it didn't look good. You know, right. uh, you know, you can't always say speak with kindness to people on the street. Right. So, you right. know, um, not if people will, will take that oftentimes and uh you know you try to be kind and polite and they, right. they mistake that for weakness and they want to push you a little more oh so, yeah you know well but, you know another thing that i tell my students that i always went by i always asked somebody to do something first right ma'am could you please be quiet sir can you please sit down because in the end no matter what i had to do you can never say you hadn't been asked exactly Exactly. That's what I, that's what would help me survive for 25 years. Cause when you get to court and the judge looks at you and say, uh, Sergeant Carter, did you not ask this man? Yes, sir. I did ask him several times and he'd look at, he'll look at him several. So why didn't you comply when the officer asked you? See, I always, I teach my youngsters always ask somebody first, because when you do what you have to do in the end, be it physical, be it an altercation or whatever you got to do, you can always say, and nowadays it's recorded, that you ask the person first. Just listen to the audio. I asked them three times. So, yes. So just, just it's little tidbits like that I could pass on to a lot of youngsters um, if they'll listen. And that's the other yes. part, too. Yes. And then the other side, for those that are being approached by an officer, just comply. You know, even yep. if you're not not 100 percent, I mean, unless he's asking you to do something that's just flat out right. illegal. Right. Just exactly. comply and go to court and say this is, you know, why you felt like the officer was wrong or whatever. But don't right. fight on the side of the road. Let's, let's comply. Yep. Because, number one, you're, the chances of something going very bad are extremely low, extremely yeah, yeah. low. It's true. That yeah. means the officer has to be looking for some reason to, to, to do something wrong. And if you don't give them that excuse then that puts it all on that officer. So, you know, just, just comply and the world yeah, you know, will be a better place. I also, right. I also tell them, look, cops are human too. You have to understand that. Uh, I deal with all of your problems. Then I got to go home and I have problems at home. My kid's bad. I don't, you know, he got kicked out of school today. <laughs> so people don't really understand that cops are human too. And I always tell my my students and and anybody that will listen, always get you some friends outside of law enforcement. Good advice. Because when you get with those friends who are cops, it always turns back to you talking about the department. I don't care where you are. You're over to a friend's house, uh, another cop's out for a barbecue. It'll start out, okay, hey, how's everybody doing this? That then it'll, then it'll turn to, man, I can't believe that they wrote this memo today. I can't believe <laughs> they ain't giving us a raise. You will always go back to cop talk and you never get away from it. So I encourage those in law, get you some get you some friends or associates outside of law enforcement so that 24-7 you are not talking law enforcement. That is really good advice. I tell you what, that's a great point for us to stop and take a quick break and hear from our sponsor. And then we're going to come back and we're going to hear just how human Dr. John Carter is. Because I got some funny stuff on you, brother. We're going to talk about that when we come right back. All right, bye. 
So here on the 9 what podcast, we hear some crazy stories, but none are crazier than some of the stories they hear at Eric Buchanan and Associates. The links that some insurance companies will go to deny your disability insurance claim are amazing. If you've been denied your disability insurance, then you need to call my friend Eric Buchanan and his team at Eric Buchanan and Associates. The number is 877-634-2506. That's 877-634-2506 or find them on the web at BuchananDisability.com. Eric Buchanan and Associates, helping people who are denied disability, life, long-term care and health insurance nationwide. Welcome back to the 911 podcast. My guest today is Dr. John Carter, retired sergeant from the Chattanooga Police Department, one of my partners, one of my homeboys, you know, so I got to be careful so he doesn't tell any stories on me. Uh, but we're going to talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, John, you know, uh, we meet through this job some really, really strange people and sometimes we have to just go along with it just so that we can get the call done and move Mm -hmm. on to the next thing you shared a story about uh you know having to go to a a, maybe a haunted house of sorts and uh what you had to do to to kind of alleviate this lady's concerns why don't you tell us about that well uh i remember i mean the lady had to be oh my gosh in her 80s she lived over off of uh, 38th street Mm -hmm. and uh on park boulevard and we got a call that there's a lady who sees ghosts in her house. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay. So then I I go to the call, you know, uh, Alpha 7 or Adam 7, I'm, I'm in route. Okay, I get there. She's standing at the porch. She's meeting me at the porch. I said, ma'am, are you okay? She says, officer, there are some ghosts in my house. I said, okay, ghosts. Okay, well, I said, ma'am, you sit right here. Wait one minute. I'm going to get those ghosts out of your house. Just give me one minute. Sit right here. Don't move now. I said, <laughs> I'm going to get these ghosts out of your house. So I walk in the house, and I start yelling and talking, about, ghost, get out of here. Get out of here. You better leave Miss such and such alone. Let me go to the back bedroom. There might be some back there. So I, I, <laughs> I go through all this whole spill throughout the house, like about five or ten minutes, and she on the porch, just sitting there waiting on me. I said, ma'am, they're all gone. She said, are they really? I said, yes, ma'am. You should be able to sleep good tonight. They're all gone. And she just gave me a hug. Thank you, officer. Thank you so much. I said, now, if they come back, you make sure you call me. She said, I Mm -hmm. sure will. And that was just (laughs) one of the many, you know, one of the many stories, man. And and that's one I know know I'll never forget. Yes. No, I know. People don't don't realize that so much of, of what you do are things maybe not that extreme, but it really right. is just, you know, just community service. Is you know, it? you're not always taking people to jail. Sometimes you just you're just doing something maybe out of the ordinary, a little silly to make them feel better about something, you know? Right. Well, you, so. you know, what? And, and my kids often ask me, of course, you know, they're curious. You ever been shot? You ever shot anybody? Da, 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 all this. Right. Mm-hmm. So. I stop using tell them to my new ones. I'll say, uh, they say, have you ever put anybody in jail for nothing? I'd sit there. I think I said, eh. I said, yeah, I did. You did. What'd you put somebody in jail for nothing for? I said, well, let me tell you the story. I said, I'll never forget it because it was on midnight shift downtown. And it was probably five below one of those nights where just nothing was moving. It was that mm-hmm. cold. 
Yeah. I, and I pull up at the light in front of the Choo Choo, and this guy just runs up to my car and beats on the window. So I'm like, hey, man, you all right? What's going on? He said, officer, please put me in jail. I'm so cold. <laughs> I'm so hungry. I'm so, I said, man, what what can I put you in jail for? What, I mean, you, I said, you haven't done anything. He said, well, what do you need me to do to put me in jail? I said, nothing. <laughs> I said, nothing. I said, no, nah, you don't need to do nothing now. He said, awesome, hungry, it's cold. And and I said, I'll tell you what, man. I said, get in the back of my car. And and he got in the back of my car and I heated him up and, and uh, took him down to the jail. Uh, <laughs> I put him in jail for public intoxication. Because yeah. I guarantee you that night, DeMarlin, we would have been out there. Homicide would have been out there. Major crimes would have been out there because he would have froze to death. Right. Right. He, that that was one of those nights that he would have froze to death. And, and I felt in my heart that that if I left this man out here, I'm leaving him to die. So yeah. I put him if you want to say I put him in jail for nothing. I did. I did. Yeah. And he, he got he got to eat. And he was warm until the morning time. And they let him out. So so that was my. Yeah, I did put somebody in jail for nothing one time. And that was my. But it story. was actually for his benefit, right? And I believe I, I believe, and I, I honestly and truly believe, I saved his life that night. Yeah, because he would have froze. Yeah. He would have froze there. Yeah, yeah, five below—that's a—that's—that's uh, that's no joke, right there. And it doesn't right. get that cold here very often. Right, right. Yeah. So you actually also talked about a story of um, training an officer that didn't know how to drive. How in the world does somebody that didn't know how to drive get hired on as a police officer to begin with? Man, I tell you what, and, and actually that person is still a captain at the police department right now. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> but but 20, 20 something years ago, he uh twenty something years ago he did not know how to drive. So <laughs> I had to pick him up at his at his apartment. And he rolled with me. I was working uh Paz Homes and Alton Park area on um second shift. I think I was on second shift at that time. And uh he had a heck of a day because he was trying to drive to work to line up. <laughs> he wrecked his friend's car. Because <laughs> he did not know how to drive. Oh so my goodness. He wrecked his friend's car, so he goes back to the apartment and they, and I think the sergeant at the time was like, Hey Carter man, you need to go pick this guy up. He's he's really just coming out of academy. He's supposed to be riding with you. I said, okay. He wrecked his friend's car. Pick him up, man. It wasn't ten minutes later. We had a hot call in Alton Park on Huffaker. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it was shots fired or something like that. We get out there, big fight going on. We got to fighting. We had to fight to break it up, and we end up cuffing three or four people, put them in jail. That's his first five minutes with me. <laughs> they go to jail, do all the paperwork. Then about 40 minutes later, oh, another call. I don't know what, but it was a large fight. It was summertime. It was a fight. So, I mean, his first day, man, was like horrible. And then, so at the end of the shift, I'm like, so how was your first day? He was like, yes, it was a little different. I said, this job is a little different. but But he's a captain right now. Still at the Chattanooga Police Department. He should be retired now. Captain Hopefully Jerome. He can drive. Uh, <laughs> Wait, so, Jerome. I know Jerome. Yeah, it was Jerome. It was Jerome. Ask him about it. He'll tell you. 
But oh, but I, I eventually had trained him, and, and of course he, I must have did a little something right because he's a captain now. That's, and that's amazing. A true story. And then what's crazy about that? Earlier that day, and a lot of people didn't know that this earlier that day he had a backpack on. The same day, before he, before he got, was coming to work, he had a backpack on and was walking past the bus station downtown. And John Bradford was working he burglar robbery at the time. And for some reason, he a call came out downtown and he thought Jerome looked like somebody who robbed something. He draw, draws down on Jerome at gunpoint. All this in one day now. All this in all, ask me about it. He'll tell you all of this in one day, man. So oh, he had, he had a rough, rough first day, but the next next 25 turned out okay because, like I say, he's a captain now. That is he's good. Now, so so he, he still they should be getting ready to retire. But yeah, he, he should. He's still there, yeah. Another little point of connection. I actually went to college with his brother, with his older brother. Well, Jerome, older brother, did you? Okay. Yes, I did. He he went. He and I both went to Tennessee. So I knew his brother before I knew Jerome. So right. And, small I, and, world. and and another thing is, we had a, a kid that came out in my academy. He went through the whole academy. The whole police academy. I mean, you know, six months of whatever, PT, shooting, tactics, all that stuff. First day we go out to ride, the first day, he was riding with uh, Derek Stewart, Sergeant Derek, he tied Sergeant Derek Stewart. Man, after his first day riding, he, he the next day he went to training and turned all the stuff in. He said, man, <laughs> he said, man, this ain't for me. But I, but I could respect that. He oh, yeah. realized early before he hurt somebody or somebody hurt him that dude not for me so yeah. the next day he i mean but he did all the training academy pass and and graduated and first day ride and he decided that, that this job was not for him so yeah. so he turned his stuff in the next day yeah better do it do it sooner than later right mm. right well, well, speaking of driving, uh, I don't think you're the best person to be teaching somebody to drive. What's this I hear about you wrecking a brand new police car? Oh, my gosh, man. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. Me, Nathan Vaughn, I think he's a captain now, still out there. Uh-huh. Me, Nathan Vaughn, Rick Cook. You know Rick. He's oh, yeah. worked with uh uh, Saturday Daisy now. Saturday Daisy, Rick. He's worked a couple different places. That's my table mate at the academy. Good guy. Yeah. Rick, uh, in 91, they came out with the Chevy Caprices. You remember the big bubble? Oh, yeah. Yes. We had cameras in the car. And Chief Cothran, for some unknown reason, he gave me one, gave Rick <laughs> Cook one. <laughs> gave Nathan Vaughn one and I think gave William Anderson one. Brand new 1991 Chevy Caprice. So you know how the old heads was looking at us like, they're pissed. They uh -huh. are. Uh -huh. these rookies just come in. I've been here 10 years and these rookies come in and get a break because you know at the CBD cars was everything at the time, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because And they, he was like, they were like, man, they were really, really probably pissed at us because we dated. Well, how'd y'all get brand new cars? You know, I don't know how many times we heard it. But anyway, was working East Chattanooga, um, midnight shift. I was a rookie. I had been on maybe, shoot, a year, two, year and a half, two, maybe three years. Mm -hmm. So got a hit on a stolen car on the plate. 
So, you know, I'm I'm behind this guy. He takes off on me in the car. And, you know, I, I'm behind him uh, through East Chattanooga, just behind him, behind him. We're rolling. We're we're going in these side streets. I'm behind him. He, he jumps a curve, and I'm right behind him in the car. Mm-hmm. Little did I know that it was a drainage ditch there. He jumped the drainage ditch in the vehicle. Mine went straight down and was bent just like a banana <laughs> in the store's drain. And my car was just like a banana. It was bent just like a banana. So, you know, oh, man, you know, I, you, you know the grief I caught behind all that. And I mean, you know, you on the call, you get everybody in the in the district there, you know, five, you get two, three, four, and five. And you did they come to the come to your aid? Maybe this is in East Chattanooga. Maybe the fox yeah. right on Roanoke, right off Roanoke. Maybe the fox team cars might come. Man, I had about fifteen officers out. They couldn't wait to see this rookie in this brand new nineteen ninety one. Chevy Capri's bent up like a banana, so you already know. That's what you get. You know, I got all that. Uh Uh-huh, that shouldn't have gave you rookies them cars. And, oh, you know, I get all that. Now, the the first face I could remember, and and when I got out the car, and I was, of course, I was mad, you know, because I know, I already know. Mad and embarrassed. Yes, embarrassed. I'm, oh, man, you know. Man, I got first one that I remember her face because she tried to keep a straight face, but she couldn't do nothing but laugh. Captain Kim Reevely. <laughs> yes, I remember Kim. Was uh, what uh, Norberger was Norberger, but it was Reevely. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he yeah. couldn't keep a straight face. She was just looking at me laughing. I said, "It's not that funny." She said, "Yes, it is." <laughs> so you know when everybody else got there, man, they enjoyed the heck out of that, buddy. They enjoyed it. <laughs> But that that was that was my car. I, that well, I guess they. I don't know if they fixed it or not, man. But it was bent. You got to admit it, the drainage ditch was probably like five foot wide, and it was you know so long, but it was five foot wide. So the car, the front end stuck, the back end stuck, and it's bent like a banana, you know. So, but that's and the my, guy in the, my, and, and the, and the stolen car. They get away. Yeah, he got away. <laughs> he did. He did get away. Yes, oh. he did. But that was oh, I was a, I was a rookie then, man, and 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 one more good story for you is I come out of the lineup, man. We got uh, Fox Eight in a in a pursuit, you know. So we get out of lineup, you know. When you are a youngster, man, you you know it, I tell people it was five years before I didn't even want to go to work anymore because I was having so much fun. Yes, I mean, yes. I was like, man, my first we were having fun. It was this man, yes. this ain't a job. This is fun, you know. Man, so I leave Amicola. Ooh, I'm stepping, I'm stepping on the gas and one of them LTDs with the. You can feel the heat on your foot and the floorboard <laughs> like you can look to the ground. So I'm rolling, I'm rolling. Man. I get up on 153. I'm headed that way. The car did something, so I got off a shallow for turned back around. Then all of a sudden, but, but, ran out of gas. <laughs> ran out of gas. Ran out of gas. Ran out of gas. True story. That's one of the other true story. Ran out of gas, bro. Ran out of gas. Now, you know, and I was right by the gas station on Shallowford and 153, but it had no gas can, no. So I ended up having to call the shop, bring me some gas out there, you know, and I I remember who who my sergeant was at the time. No, at the time, 
what no sergeants sergeants were like answer calls just like officers at that time sergeants mm-hmm. didn't run the ship lieutenants ran the ship so i can't even remember who my lieutenant was man i think it was 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 lieutenant gan or or it was somebody like that littlefield somebody at the time but uh you know I was, they gave me grief on the you know car ran out of gas huh you know if you know if you know lieutenant gan man he always kept a caught him grunt he always kept a straight face you know you ran out of gas you know Yes, so that's yes, another yes. one of the many stories, man. I was in hot pursuit, bro. I thought I was gonna get in on that one. Man, I yeah, I had a similar similar call. I didn't I didn't run out of gas. I was on the back lot. See, I was smart enough to fill up first. I was filling up right mm. when the hot call came in. Right, hot hot call comes on the air. I can't remember what the call was, but it was it was sent to me. You know, and I had to go. And mm. I jumped in the car, threw that car in drive, and took off. And I heard clunk. Look back, I still had the gas nozzle in the tank. Oh. <laughs> so I, I disappointed my way for the pump. I looked oh, around, yeah. picked it up, laid it back down, and got on that road. I expected to hear somebody, you know, hear from somebody about, Dean, you did such and such. Never heard a word. They just put it back now, on there. Now let me ask you this. Now, did, did you come at the time when you were a rookie? This had to be 90, 91. I was, I was a rookie then, 89, 90, 91, somewhere around there. On midnight shift, when you got you got your gas or whatever came from lineup, you'd say midnight echo one. I'm in service. Midnight echo two, three, four. Everybody would get in service. Correct. So my first couple nights, I'm getting in service. I'm working echo one. That's around Amicola and East Chattanooga and 58 a little bit. And they sending me all the way to the Georgia line on the call. So I'm like, <laughs> what the heck? 1500 West 50, East 58 Street. I'm like. Man, I got to find this place. It's all the way in Fox Sector, man. And after uh-huh. about two or three nights, man, I would get in service, and they'd be sending my butt all the way to Georgia, and then I caught on to it. All the old heads wouldn't get in service until everybody else got in service because- Let everybody get those calls. <laughs> right. I'm answering their calls. I thought, oh, <laughs> I get it. It don't take me- no-. And they were sending me, man, I'm, I'm working Echo One at Amicola. Hey, oh, send me all the way to GTs on Georgia Line, the way down there, Fox Six to answer calls, man. Oh, like man. Missionary Red. I mean, they sending me everywhere. I said, what the heck? Then after I got the call and got there, everybody say, uh, Bigford, Fox 8, I'm in service. <laughs> you know, and I'm ah, Chuck Wells, Fox 6, I'm in service. You know, they let the old rookie <laughs> jump them calls, you know, and they say, they was laughing their butt off. I'm sure they were. So yeah, I, I remember that you know all the all the all the old heads they would wait and let the young bucks get in service and and get all those calls that are waiting yeah. and then they'll get in service when you're all all over the place. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Work with some great people though, good guys. Work work with a lot of good guys, man. That that and I work with some who didn't have much sense, but eventually get ran off or did whatever. But uh, I work with a lot of good guys who who. who we're doing some good things and putting their life on the line, man. And, and, and a lot of us were able to retire. And then of course, you know, some of us didn't, didn't make it. Right. Um, you know, and I right. tell my kids about how sad funerals in itself are, but I said a cop's funeral is even sadder. You know, it, it's, it's something about going to a cop's funeral. that's even sadder. And, and so I guess over my 25 years, man, oh my gosh, I probably been to at least 10, 10 funerals, you know, of course, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the young lady uh, to get killed, got a gun taken in East Chattanooga. Can't Julie Jacks. Julie Jacks. That, of course. Were yes. you there at the time? Um, 
No, I had, I think at the time that she was killed, I believe I'd already uh, was off. I'd already left the department. Okay. Okay. But, um, her and John Baker dying of cancer, Richard Alexander getting in that wreck. He's going to retire the next week, getting mm. that wreck on Amicola, going to pick up everybody's checks, you know, just, just a lot of, you know, people dying, of, you know, just some dying of cancer, you know, um, just folks that, that I'm blessed still to be here. A lot of close calls. I've been shot before and shot several people in those 25 years. But I was, <laughs> I had the angels hovering above me, I guess, every night, man, to survive a lot of that stuff because, man, I had so many close calls. It's easy that I couldn't have, would not have been here. Simple. That's true. Uh, That's one true. step, one wrong way, I would not have been here. And, and uh, I thank God every day that he allowed me to, I guess he wasn't through with me yet. So, so now I do the teaching thing, been retired since 2014 and been teaching since then. So well, take us through. Um, I wanted to talk about, you know, one, one of the scariest calls, of course, was, was you getting shot. So t- right. take us about that. When was that and, and what was going well, on that led up to that? I was a rookie. Um, I was working East Chattanooga. I was Echo One. Um, me, Chuck Topping, Robert Evans. Harold Jackson, we all worked uh, East Chattanooga. We used Charles Darling. We used to put him up on Highway 58 because he, he was scared to come down there. With us. So we he stayed up on Highway 58. <laughs> we, knew, we knew Highway 58 was secure every night when he was working. <laughs> so, but uh, me and Harold was was working one night, man, and and um, people fail to realize. I'm thinking in 1992 on Southern Street alone, we had like 15 homicides. Right. Southern Street, uh, the former Harriet Tubman, Boone High singer before then, man. And that was when when crack was just, wow, hit the scene and took the city by storm. And, and a lot and law enforcement, we, we just it hit us by surprise. We, we didn't know what to do. Um, crack was so, so bad in this city. People don't really understand that. So anyway, me and Harold Jackson, we were uh, every time we drive up Camden Street, which is a couple blocks over from um Harry Tubman, um, there was a family, the Simmons family, right there, who lived right there in the big house, about two houses from the corner of Roanoke and um, mm. Camden Street. Every time we drive up the street or drive down, we see somebody take off running on us. Okay. So I decide, we'll get with Harold. We, we pull behind the house, get out our cars, we had our lights out, and we shut the door. So Usually, they they had a dog back there, so if anybody was coming from the back, it would notify them by barking. They take off running another way. So for that for that night, for some reason, the, the, there was a tire at the fence. I just moved the tire and was able to walk up in the yard. It was a sidewalk beside the house, and it was a big oak tree. I mean, one of those big old oak trees right in front of the house, right like almost about 10 feet from the house. And that's where the guy was standing dealing from. Car would pull up, go down, go down 15 feet, make a sale in the street, come back, stand by the tree. I watched him do that four or five times. Harold went around the other side of the house. Okay. So I stood there, like I said, four or five times, watch him make these deals. So finally I I walk up on my, have my midnight shift, about one or two in the morning. So I had my flashlight, and I hit him with my flashlight like, I said, police, don't move. And I was like 10 feet from him. Mm-hmm. And when he turned around at me, 
all I seen was him pulling something long and shiny out of his waistband. So I run right by him because, you know, when you're in a situation, you're either going to fight or flight. So right. at that time, I, I flighted. So I yeah. ran because I didn't even have my gun out. I, I ran right past him and I heard two shots. Pow, pow. So then, of course, I was able to get my gun out and he was running across the yard. And I, man, I, I don't I, I think I, I emptied a magazine and reloaded another one and maybe fired two shots out of that. And then I was in the middle of the street and there were other people still out in the yard across the street. So, of course, I put them on the ground. said, if you move, I'm, I'm going to kill you. Get on the ground. Don't move. So I'm in the middle of the street at this time. Harold says, uh, JC, you all right? I said, yeah, I'm OK. But then my foot started going numb. And I'm like, oh, you know, how your foot falls asleep. My foot start going numb. And I looked down and there's blood dripping on my shoe. And Harold said, you all right, man? You all right? I said, I said, man, get that. These were my exact words. I'm not going to say the, the whole word, but I said, <laughs> Harold, um, that MF shot me. Get him. Yeah. That's, that's my exact words. And I get on the radio. I say, Echo One. I might work with one or two. I can't remember what. Echo Echo One, start me a 20 this way. I'm on Camden Street. I've been hit. So the dispatcher says, you've been hit by a car or what's going on? I said, no, dispatcher, I've been shot. And she lost it. Oh, man. I said, I've been shot. She she lost it. I'll call, I'll call. You know, you can tell in her voice she lost it. But I still got these people at gunpoint right here. So I sat on the ground and just kind of elevated my leg up. Man, and, and, and I don't, if you ever need help in law enforcement, the beauty of that is, is hearing these sirens coming my way. Oh, yes. I mean, I was from that location. I could look up in the ridge and see car blue lights coming. I could hear sirens. I can hear them coming, hear them coming. I hear, but then I could see blue lights coming from a distance. I mean, man, everybody was in route. Um, I think Chuck Wells told me at one time, he said, man, uh, he's now chief at where signal mound or one of the little, little towns up there. But he said, man, Carter, he said, I got from Rossell Boulevard, the middle part of Rossell Boulevard, here in two minutes. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, that's, that's how that's fast a good, it was rolling. You know, because that's a good fifteen-minute drive, easy. Right, officer down. You know, plus it's midnight shift, one, two in the morning. Yeah. Ain't that many cars out? You know, yeah. officer down, four forty-three, four forty-three. She's telling her all cars are heading to Camden Street Road. Note, officer down. Officer, you know all that stuff. Right. So, right. I was in the middle of the street. Like I said, I almost got ran over because they was coming. They was coming. They was coming. So anyway, ambulance finally got there. I got in the ambulance because I said it's so calm. She thought I got hit by a car or something. I said, no, I said, no, dispatcher. I've been shot. That's exactly yeah. why I said I know it wasn't no screaming. Wasn't no hard. I said, dispatcher, I've been shot. Start me at 20. And then she realized shot. And for those know, for those that don't know, a twenty um, that aren't from here, twenty is an ambulance. A four twenty right. is the code for Starman ambulance. Yes. So, yeah, we were wow. using four hundred codes at the time, and uh, so then eventually, um, Captain Houston, uh, man, everybody, everybody. I mean, Lieutenant Parks, Captain Houston. I mean, Cookie Monster was there. Uh, Rick Cook, uh, Rob. I mean, just all guys were coming there. Robert Robert Evans was off that night, so he was heads off on his off day. But Chuck, I mean. People was just coming, man, from every sector. 
So now, were you shot in the leg? Yes, I got shot in the calf, left left leg. I shot in the calf. Went went inside, went in and went in the outside, and came through the inside. It was a clean clean uh, shot. Doctor okay. said, "Man, good thing you got big legs because if it would have hit your uh, tibia or fibula, it would have shattered it. It was with a forty-five. Yeah. Oh, it was with a forty-five, yeah. right? So it, uh, like I said the angels with me went straight through. Um, ended up catching the guy. Um, ended up catching the guy." And he was three doors down and he was hiding. He was hit in the chest and in the leg and in the shoulder or something. And they found him hiding in the shed three doors up. So, of course, he was laying on a gun and he was laying on a butterfly knife and he was laying on an ounce of crack. He had all that with him. So, I mean, you know, they was going to work on him, man. They was going to then Lieutenant Joe Parks probably saved his life. Because at the time, Lieutenant Joe Parks jumped over him and covered him up. Because they was, uh, the boys was going to get him that night. Because yeah. so, he heard one day, and one day, so it ended up, and, and a strange thing about that, um, four or five years later, you know, they found him not guilty. They said, what? Oh, yeah. See, that's, a lot of people don't know that story. They found him not guilty. We had a trial. A two-week trial. We brought in gun experts. They found him not guilty. And this was the time, this was like three or four weeks after Rodney King. Okay. So the jury, I mean, I knew I was in trouble when the jury, the foreman of the jury came out and smiled at him. What? And she said on first count, two counts of first degree attempted murder, not guilty. Um, found him guilty of the drugs and the gun anyway. But yeah, and I had I had cops calling me from all over the country. Said, "Man, I heard it was okay to shoot cops in Chattanooga and get away with it." I said, "Man, so I man. know the other side of the justice system." Yeah, he was. Right. They found him. He did. He might have did two or three years, man. And then he turned around and sued me, the department, and most of the officers out there for like two million dollars or something we had to go to court on that they ended up the judge ended up throwing it out time as a fibrous lawsuit so he ended up doing that but i would say four years later five years later i was a detective burglar and robber detective there's a store right there um right right across from used to be old plantation barbecue i don't know if it's still there or not there's a store right there so i'm in my tie got my badge on my gun on so i go in the store and guess who was standing at the counter? <laughs> no way. Yes. The guy that shot me. And he looked at me. When he looked at me, he thought he'd seen a ghost. His I eyes kept, I said, man, you okay? I said, that was then. This is now. I said, you all right? I said, I survived it and you did too. He said, uh, uh, how's the family, uh, Oscar? I said, I said, you don't even know my family, number one, but everything's good. I said, you good. I said, you all right? Yeah. I said, you're yeah. all right. I said, that was then. This is now. You know, so so I re- actually ran into him a couple years later, you know, and I often ask my I, I challenge my students sometime. I said, well, I said, what if what if I would have walked in that store and seen him and had a flashback and just yeah. started shooting? And I asked them the question, would I go to jail? If I if I killed him, would I go to jail? Yeah, yeah, you go to jail. You do. Yeah, yeah. I said. Have y'all ever heard of post-traumatic stress? I said, uh, as a matter of fact, I never received any counseling from that shooting. Mm-hmm. I uh, I never received any counseling. 
And from that shooting incident, I was back to work in 23 days. Man. I said, I said, now you got to remember now. I said, I've never received any counseling because back then, you know, you are okay. Go back when you, my captain called me, Captain Braggett. Hey, you okay? I said, yeah, I'm all right, Cap. When you coming back to work? Because we short exactly. on midnight shift, you know. Exactly. That was the attitude. I said, I've been working couple, about two weeks. He said, oh, okay, okay, just relax, take your time, you know. But he, he short on the shift, so he want to know when I'm coming back to work. Yeah. You know, so so that that's that too. But so yeah, I, I use that story to teach my students about the, the seriousness of, of, of depression and post-traumatic stress. Yeah. And that yeah. are things that our soldiers face every day, not even soldiers, cops, people in general. Well, and if you think about it, cops, first responders, face it more than your average soldier. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. your average soldier is not in a war zone all the time. Right, right. And when right. they are, it's, you know, it's usually clear, usually, I mean, there's always exceptions. It's clear who the enemy is. Mm-hmm. And you're there for that specific reason. Right. Whereas a police officer, you're you're doing this every day, day in, yeah. day out. You don't always recognize the enemy. You, right. you know, you're going up to somebody that you think is is just a traffic violation. The next thing you know, you got you, you're staring down the be- barrel of a weapon. Right. But I want to back up a little bit and unpack this this shooting because we hear so many times the people that that are that are not trained. Why didn't you shoot him in the leg? Why didn't you shoot uh-huh. the gun out of his hand? All this stuff. So number one, you got shot in the leg, and you right. still were able to empty a round, right. or empty a magazine, and 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 load and shoot another one. So if that was a bad guy intent on killing you, right. and you shoot him in the leg, he can still fight back. And furthermore, you hit him three right. times. Right. He was still able to go three blocks. Yep. So which yep. means he could still turn and fire and do that's those right. things. And that's why. I want people that are not in law enforcement to understand that, no, you don't shoot to kill. Right. But you do shoot to incapacitate. You shoot to stop the threat. You shoot to threat. stop the threat. Yes. You shoot and until you the threat is gone. Until the threat is gone. And, and that, I, that I means I teach he's, my he's, students that all that. I mean, like I tell them, y'all got probably the best criminal justice teacher because I not only did the job for 25 years, that's how I fed my family. But, you know, I, I'm not one who just read books and say, OK, I got a master's degree. I'm going to teach you about law. I've never been a cop. This is what right. I do. This is what I did. It's how I earned my living for 25 years. So so I depart a lot, a lot of knowledge. But I, and I don't tell them anything because I tell a lot of some of y'all are going to be criminals. So, I'm <laughs> everything. so you know, you know, I, you know, some of y'all are going to be on the other side of the law. I, I already know that. Don't go home and tell your parents. I said you're going to jail. But you can tell them, but statistics say out of all of y'all in here, it's going to be a few you're not going to do, right? So <laughs> well, so they understood that. But but And, and I tell them post-traumatic stress is, is, and depression is real. Like they say now, that's the big thing now. You can have post-traumatic stress from being in the car wreck. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and, and, and then, you know, I know people who've been in car wrecks and don't want to even ride in cars anymore. Right. I've, right. I've seen They've that same thing. They've been blindsided or hit at a stop sign or you know, so so, but I explained we 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 talk about all that good stuff, man, and and um, but it's it's, it's one of the incidents I I went through at the CPD, and and uh, like I said, I can sit here and swap stories with you, man, and I was just blessed to be trained, um, by the best, Spooky Jackson, man. Oh, I miss that dude. Oh uh, man, <laughs> Frank Frank Newsom, you know. Yes. Some of them guys, man, Donut, some of them guys, Sonny Mosley, all the man, all the old heads, Captain Callaway, Captain, I could keep naming them, man. Yes. I, I'll, I'll never forget Captain Fred Houston, man. He, My first day at the job, the job I come up the back steps, and he, he's in that 
right at that office where Motor Pool guy was. He that used to be his office. He said, Carter, come here. I said, Yes, sir. He said, uh, first night at work, huh? I said, Yes, sir. He said, Let me tell you this. He said, Keep the good that you learn out there. And the bad, leave it alone. He said, Keep the good that you that you that that you learn from these other officers out here, but the bad, leave it alone. Yeah. That's what he told me. And Captain Callaway told me, man, and those are the guys we we missed. Captain Callaway told me, he said, no matter what the situation, Carter always be a man about it. You know, so that that's the kind of the way I came on the department. Right. People grabbing me, hey, come here, youngster. But then on the flip side of that, I was willing to listen to what they had to say. Unlike some day, some guys a day, you try to tell them something. You've been on a job 12 years. They coming out a rookie. You try to tell them, man, I don't want to hear that, man. You old. I, okay. Yeah. See how, yeah. You just watch them, see how long they last, you know. Yeah. They'll they learn, they'll learn one way or another. Yeah. They can't say yeah. you didn't try, you know. That's you know. true. But well, yeah, I can't man. let you go. Uh, we, right. You know, we're coming up on an hour, but I guess, I, man, I'm going to have to have you come back. But first, okay. we, we also, we, I ain't done yet. I got I got oh, a few more tricks okay. up my sleeve. But uh, one, we also have another connection, but both of us have a, an embarrassing moment that was similar. So you, you had to wrestle with a big woman. And uh, tell me how that oh, ended man. for you. <laughs> never forget it, man. <laughs> I never forget it. And it is very humorous. So I was working, of course, South Chattanooga, on Park, in Willow Homes, Georgia Line or whatever. So somehow or another, I got a call that said that a lady had a warrant on her. Lived down, um, I think it was Woodland View Circle out in Willow Homes. So, okay, I'm going to go over there and tell the lady she got a warrant on her, put in jail, and that'd be it. So, man, this lady, man, she had to be every bit about 300 pounds, man. <laughs> and just short, just every bit of 300 pounds, man. So I'm like, okay. I said, ma'am. And she and then she was mental, too. She had, okay. had some mental issues, too. So I said, ma'am, um, I'm uh, Officer Carter, and, and you have a warrant on you for your arrest for uh, whatever it was at the time. And I said, I'm, I'm going to have to take you to jail. She looked at me, man, and said, oh, I ain't going to jail. <laughs> said, yes, ma'am, you know, you're going to jail. So I tried to put a cuff on her. I was the only one there by myself. I tried to put a cuff on her. Man, she's so strong. She pulled away from me. And the next thing you know, I'm on her back. I'm on top. I'm riding her back. Like, we bouncing around the room. I said, this woman is, is not going down, and she don't want to go to jail. So I'm, I got one cuff on her. I'm on, the, I'm, on, I'm on top of her back. You know, she's just bouncing me off the walls everywhere, man. And you ain't no little dude. Right. So, oh, man. So then she she finally gets tired. So I'm I'm hitting her. Boom. And, I, you know, as a lady, I don't want to hit her hard like I would a guy. You know what I'm saying? But I'm, That's how you get hurt, I'm, by I'm, the way. Throwing everything I had at her and it wasn't nothing working. <laughs> you know, it wasn't nothing working, man. And, and this was before the day of the taser. Yes. Uh, this was all you had was a nightstick that was in the car. There's the long handle ones with the knob on it. And it was in the, the car ones we never carried, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you had you had some mace. I could probably couldn't get to my mace. So man, I wrestled with that woman. Seemed like for about twelve, fifteen minutes. Man, she finally went down, and I, I cuffed her, and I was on top of her. So I get <laughs> up, you know, and and get out the door. Man, there's about five cars sitting out there. 
they all cracking up laughing. My gun belt was twisted to the back. You know, my gun belt was twisted to the back. I had my hat on. It was almost backwards. You know, had my, my uniform hat on. For some reason, it was almost backwards, man. All the buttons on my shirt was ripped off and shirt was hanging open. And everybody, man, they was cracking up. I said, that is not funny. Where y'all been? They, was, they just started laughing, man. That was not funny. But that was a – I'll never forget that. I, it's just – you know, it, you would think it was just the guys that you would have problems with, but no, yeah. it's, it's man. I had a and and the piggyback on that one, and I know we got to go. I had a ninety pound woman one time. She did something. I was working somewhere. She did something, and I ended up cuffing her and putting her in jail. And she literally wanted to fight me. Yeah, I'm like, girl. Come on, get in the back of this car. No, wait till I get down to the jail. We're going to fight. I'm laughing, you know, a little 90-pound woman. You know, I'm laughing, I'm laughing, I'm laughing. Okay, okay, whatever you say. Man, I get her down to the jail and get my cuffs off. Do you know she squared up with me? Like, come on. I'm like, girl, quit. I'm like, girl, quit playing. You know, I ain't got to do this paperwork. Quit playing. No, I ain't playing with you. And she came at me, and I just kind of, Shoved her, you know, and yeah, cuffed her yeah. to the, to the uh, seat at that time. I said, girl, yeah. I said, quit playing. You play too much. Quit. She said, I ain't playing. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get. I'm, she couldn't have been 80 pounds soaking wet on me. I've seen I was, it happen where it's taking four or five officers to get a 90, 100 right, pound woman in, right. in cuffs because she was either high or something. And right. You so just I, never was know. Just, I was, she was just talking smack, man. I'm sitting there doing my paperwork and I was just cracking up laughing. I said, girl, you're going to be all right. I said, I couldn't do that but that. <laughs> you know, but that's a true story too, man. I actually, I got a bunch of them. But. Well, I, I got something on you. You don't even know I'm going to ask you about okay. this. One. So I, I did a little digging. Uh, tell me about the first motorcycle you ever got. First motorcycle I ever got. Hmm. Rumor has it you didn't even know how to ride a motorcycle. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Check this out. <laughs> Check this out. This was crazy. This was crazy. So, so my guy, still, I guess he's, he's, I don't know what his political position is now, but I know he's still in politics. Sergeant yeah. Vince Dean. Yeah, Sergeant he's criminal Vince justice, uh, the, the court clerk, I believe. He's still the court clerk. Yeah. Oh man, he been doing okay. He's been there for a while. That was my guy, man. He, uh, me and Vinny Dean, me him, <laughs> and Neely Hogg worked together down at the South Precinct when they opened it up. First opened it up, and then I think Eric Tucker came. He was a sergeant at the time. He, I think he, I don't know if he retired or not. Anyway, he was a chief on the Chiefs now. But man, and Vince Dean, you know, he's a gold wing guy. Loves riding the gold wing. Brad, he, he just kept talking about gold wing. Man, gold wing, that's the best motorcycle, man. You just grew by. So I'm sitting there, I said, I'm looking for a bike. I said, I'm looking for a bike. I'm looking for a bike. <laughs> so he says, uh, I'm looking. I said, man, Vinny, I think I found one. He said, where'd you find it at? I said, well, it's right across in Georgia, right across the line. So we working. <laughs> right across the line. So I say, man, yeah, I got the money. I'm going to go get 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 this motorcycle from this guy. He said, come on, we'll, we'll go. I said, I don't know how to ride it. He said, we'll go. So we, we working now. And and, and and you can ask him, but he'll tell you. We, we working now. So we drive down to Georgia in the squad car. Vince checks it out, gets on it, ride. He's in uniform now. 
we too far. <laughs> we ride it down there, you know, we ride it and we ride. So oh, it's pretty nice, JC. It's pretty nice. It's pretty nice. So come on, let's go. We ride it to his house. He parks it in his carport. So I follow him home in the police car, and then we get out. I, we go, and then we go back to work. Okay. <laughs> so, so then it's about three or four days go by. Vince is like, "Hey, when you want your motorcycle lesson?" I said, "Yeah, I got to ride it sometime or another." You know. He said, "All right, all right, we gonna get it. We gonna go out. We gonna get it." He called me one day. Went out to uh, Camp Jordan. He said, "All right, get on it." I said, man, I don't know how to ride. No, he said, just listen to what I tell you to do. And, and just listen to what I tell you to do. So we're riding. I'm riding. He's shifting gears. And, you know, he's telling me everything, how to brake, da, 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 da. So I'm like, okay, I can ride it now. But, you know, I ain't never rode it. So Vince looks at me and says, hey, hey, JC, are right, you ready to take it home? I'm like, are you serious? Said, yeah. Man, I get on that motorcycle and drove. I was living in Udwa at the time in Summit. Drove that thing from Camp Jordan. Never had never had rode it before, except for the little <laughs> things Vince taught me. Yeah. Rode, it, rode it, rode it home, noodle. Then you know I would practice from that point, and then and eventually get my motorcycle license and all that. Went to the class, but yeah, jumped on the road. interstate. Went about twenty miles. Went on, the, on interstate. the interstate. I'm telling you, I was like, you sure about this? He was following behind me in the car, so he's like, you oh, sure man. about this? And it was, and it was, it was so long ago. This was because I can tell you this: his girls were little. His girls were like th- three and, and one, maybe. And I know they grown now. It's been that long, but yeah, the court clerk. Yeah, we he taught me how to ride a motorcycle. He has that that famous uh, distinction teaching me how to yeah, ride. Yeah, I, I heard you had to hide it at his house, hide it from your wife because she didn't know you. Oh yeah, yeah, she was trying to find it. She was trying to make it. it was one of those. Uh, it was one of those. Well, whose is this? Uh, it's mine now. You know. Yeah, it stayed at it stayed at Vince's house for about a week, man. It stayed at his house for about a week. Sure did. Sure did. Oh man. But yeah, that the was a We was working the next day. Come on, let's go down there and get out. I go, okay, Vince. You know. Man, yeah, but, but Vince is a is a good guy, man. Always he is. always treated me right. I hadn't talked to yeah. him in some years, but but he's he always calls me Cuz. You know, we got the same last name, so it's oh, always right, Cuz right, every right. time. Every time he sees me, hey, what's up, Cuz? And and actually, two weekends ago up here, I ran in Stan Allen. We were. At uh, I think Stan I remember Allen. Allen. We were at. You remember Stan Allen? Is his sons Nick Allen and uh, Nick was there, and David David Allen. They both were police officers. I think Nick left. So I worked with him on midnight shit for a while to do something else. Vaguely but familiar, but I don't. I don't. Remember David works well, traffic. Had worked traffic for a long time. Real thin dude. But anyway, Stan's he's the chief of these ridge now. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Stan out. He's you know he's with the city for some years. But I ran into him at Cracker Barrel uh, up here. I said, man, we went nice. to a concert, you know. So I just he, you know, I snuck up on him. He didn't know he didn't recognize <laughs> me. And well, I think I kind of scared him a little bit. I said, hey, you know, like, who was that? I said, it's, hey, it's that beard. Well, yeah. Right, well, and then Pat O'Brien ran into him. hadn't seen him in years, so talked to talked to John Chapman and and um, uh, Daryl Turner, DT. You know he had had a stroke. Yeah, yeah, he's doing yeah. pretty good. I did not know that he had had a stroke, but old Chapman, he he, that's the one that took me under under, under his wing. He yeah, taught me a lot. John Chapman, yep. So I talked. Actually, we were on a three way call. Me, Chapman, and Daryl Turner about about a month ago. So, oh. so yeah, DT's doing good, working hard, trying to get get himself together. He's feeling, he's feeling back in his legs and. Walking a little bit, doing still doing a little rehab at the house. So hopefully he'll get it together. And, and Chapman's doing good, you know, just getting good. over it, bro. 
Yeah, I need to get him on that. that that's a, that's a storyteller right there. Oh man, he had, <laughs> he, oh he had some real ones for you. I tell you what, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Guy. And those those guys like that, man, are missed. They did tell me that finally, what's the guy that had been there probably forty some years at the department? Sergeant Miller, Steve Miller. Yes, I yeah, remember that. Finally name. retired. Fine, I heard he finally retired. So I, I think he was working on forty some years. Wow. Yeah, that's too long. Yeah, that's right, long. right. I, I know that I did twenty five. I told him I got a plan. I'm out. Yeah, but I yes, prepared yes. myself for. I, you know, I told myself that I would not. I wasn't going to be a security guard anywhere when I retired. So teaching now is a blessing. I work one hundred eighty days a year, off every summer, off every weekend, off every holiday. Man, I work one hundred eighty days a year. It's a blessing, man. You know, then well, doing something I like, bro. So, well, I'm telling you that the the Metro Nashville schools are glad they they're blessed to have you, John. Uh, I appreciate I, I this, just, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate you coming on and sharing. This has been so much fun sharing some oh, yeah. laughs. And, oh, yeah. you know, I just want to thank everybody for, for supporting the podcast and listening. And you know what? If you've got some stories you want to share or got somebody you want me to get on the on the show, just, you know, shoot me an email at 91what.podcast at gmail.com. And like I said, make sure you like it and share it and, you know, give us a good rating out there. And, you know, JC, Thank you so much. And, you know, I'm going to have to get you to come back on. You know, if there's a few people, there ain't but a few people in Chattanooga. If they call me, I'm going to come running. But the majority of them, I'll see them later. I don't miss <laughs> too much. Come on. Well, I, come on I don't miss it. too much, bro. I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much for listening to the 9 what podcast. Until the next time, have a blessed day. Thanks for listening to 9 what We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have comments or suggestions, please email us at 911what.podcast at gmail.com. And thanks to Carlos Bailbonding and Eric Buchanan and Associates for making this episode possible. 